All right. Why don't we uh, jump into God's Word together? If you've joined us again for the first time, we've been, uh, you've joined us at the very last uh, section of a sermon series that we've been going through for the last uh, couple of weeks, uh, four or five weeks, I believe. Um, and it's called Truths to Live By. So we're uh, at the last uh, sermon series of that. Um, so let's jump right into it. Um, if you've got a Bible, and I hope you do, open up with me to the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 12. Just got two verses today, so short and sweet. Uh, Mark chapter 12, verses 30 to 31. Cool. Please follow along as I read. This is the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verses 30 to 31. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. This is the word of God. Thanks, Daniel. And hello, uh, good to see everyone again. You've... Uh, I can't remember the word. Uh, you've managed to push through the rain, and so congratulations. Uh, some of the streets I passed through were like semi-flooded, and so um, it's good to see you, um, nice and dry and safe. Um, as Daniel sh said, we've been going through a series called uh, Truths to Live By, and we're going to finish it off today uh, with a sermon series on love. Oh, it's a sermon on love, right? Love does things. And the things we've looked at, and I'm going to um, kind of recap them later, is hell is real. Jesus saves, God has a plan, life is short, and today, love does things, right? Love does things. Now, the world loves love, doesn't it? Uh, love is all around us all the time. It's on the radio, it's on the TV, it's in the books we read. Uh, love is very important, right? The world loves to talk about love. Uh, we write songs and listen to songs that are all about love. I feel like my high school was defined by that, like R&B, I don't know, like, um, I was going to uh, sing a song, but it's inappropriate. Um, you know, like, like Boys to Men, you know, all these songs, it's just love, right? I love you. A song's about, I've always loved you. Song's about, I love you, but I don't love you anymore, because we broke up. A song's about, I love you and I still love you, but you broke my heart. Right? They're like emo songs. But all these kind of different versions of love. We see love in movies. We have happy love movies where people end up together. We have sad love movies where they don't. We have funny love movies, right? We have rom-coms. We, ha we even have action movies. Right? They always sprinkle a bit of love into there. When I used to work at Kurong, right, it's the Christian bookstore. I don't know if it's still the same, but there was this huge section on fictional romance books. Right? So just books about love. And it was, just, it was like a massive chunk. And I always wondered... Wow, I wonder why that section is so big, right? And the other sections on evangelism is like, it's like one row. But that's because even Christians, right, we care a lot about love. Now, we find love in the Bible a lot as well. God is love, the Bible says. It is love that sent Jesus into the world. Right? God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Even as we sing songs, we sing songs about how God loves us, how we love God, 
how we want to love God, right? Love is right there in the midst of the songs we sing. And it is love, Jesus says, that lets the world know we are the disciples of Jesus Christ, right? Love, it's all around us. It's here in the church. It's very important. And so again, as we wrap up our five-week series, I want to spend today talking about love and how love does things. Now, this series was Truth to Live By, and if you weren't here, I've gone through four massive, I think, life-defining truths. Uh, These are truths that if we really believed in, we should not be the same. And so number one, it was hell is real. And that truth alone should change everything for the Christian, right? If we believe that hell is real, the way we think, the way that we live should radically change. But I said hell is horrible, hell is final, so if you get there, you can't change it. And a lot of people are going to be caught surprised that they're going to go to hell, right? That truth is a truth to live by. Second, I said Jesus saves. I said that's why Jesus came into the world. He came to save us from our sin that leads us to hell. That's what we need, even though it might not be what we want. Right, that's the second sermon. The third one I said, God has a plan. That's been God's plan all along, to save us from our sin by sending Jesus, right, to save his people through his son. And so God sent Jesus into the world. He died on the cross so that we might be saved. That's been his plan even before he created the stars or, you know, the world. Before anything else was created, that was God's plan. It's God's plan right now, and it will be God's plan going into the future. And I said, if we're Christians, our plan should then fall into that. Like, hell is real, Jesus saves, God has a plan, and that should be our plan. And last week I said, life is short. We're only here very, for a short time, and we're going to go into eternity. And if that is true, we should spend our short life investing into the life to come. And when we look at the people around us, who also have an eternity waiting for them, we should spend our life trying to make their eternity the same place we're going to go. And today, love is that final kind of ingredient that we need, I think, to really do anything about all that I've said. Love doesn't feel that life-defining. It doesn't seem as massive as the truths that I've talked about, but I really believe it is that key ingredient. Oftentimes, I don't know about you, but when I thought about the things that I preached, I was like, yeah, like we we need to do something, but so often we don't. Why don't we act? Why don't we go? Why don't we tell people? It is because we lack love. That's my main point. We need love to act on these things because love does things. Now, today we heard just from uh, from Daniel the great commandment. It's about our love to God and our love to our neighbor. But before we even get to our love, we really need to begin with God's love. Because that's where it all begins. The love that God has for us first, right, which then flows out. Right, first John chapter 4, John says this. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Right, so love one another because, he says, love came first from God. And God's love came down to us and we understood it, we received it, we experienced it. And then he's saying, therefore we love. Right? It originates from God. That's where we begin and that's where you need to begin as well. And so if you are sitting here 
as a person who's never understood or experienced the love of God, I just want to kind of point out that that's where you need to begin. This sermon is about how we love, but if you haven't experienced God's love, right, just you need to figure that one out first. And so please listen, but after the sermon, talk, think about that relationship first. Right? That's the key relationship that flows out of us. First John chapter 4, verse 7, it says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And then he says, Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. You know, the love that God is going to command us to do to love Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves, is an impossible thing for us to do without a supernatural work of God in our hearts. I want to break apart the great commandment, but we really need to know and experience God's love first because what He's calling us to do in loving God and loving others, it's impossible. And so we need to have experienced that first, right? John says, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And so to truly love in the biblical way we are to love means you have to be born of God, born again. You have to know God, right? So again, you need to begin with that relationship. But after we've understood and experienced the love of God, we come to our great commandments. And Mark 12, it says, and I'm going to read it again. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. That's it, love God and love others as you love yourself. I said, God first loves us and then we respond by loving God with everything that we are, right? Heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is a totality of who you are. It's not just love Him in your mind alone or love Him in your emotions alone or love Him with your songs alone, but everything that you are, right? That's why it's all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's like every inch of your body, love God. And then love neighbor and then love self. That's the order, God, others, and self. Now, John Stott in his book, Basic Christianity, he points out that the sinful human nature, us by default, do the exact opposite of what we just read. We are born loving ourselves first, above everything else, priority number one, me, and then we love others next, maybe my friend or my family, and then last, if at all, we love God. But that's human nature. That's the sinful human nature. Myself first, others, and then God. But what God is commanding us here is to flip that upside down. This is the great reversal. And he's saying, you take yourself that you used to love the most, you put it last. You take God that you used to not even love at all, you put him first. So it's God now first, then others, even before yourself. Right? So again, you see how this is an impossible thing to do if God has not worked in our hearts. How do I love God even above everything else that I can have in this world? And then how do I love my neighbor even more than myself? Even equal is difficult, but to even place them above myself to serve them and sacrifice. And yet this is what God is calling us to do, right? It's a radical transformation that occurs. But when this happens, 
when we love in this way that God has commanded us, when we truly love God with everything that we are, and we love our neighbor even before ourselves, love does things. It will then ripple out into our lives and change so many things. And I'm just going to talk about three ways it will show up. First, it will give us our message to tell others. Right? Loving God this way will give us our message to tell others. Why? Because we have finally found something that we love even more than we love ourselves. And the more we deepen our love for God, the more we will desire to talk about Him. When we truly love God, we'll, we'll talk about Him. You know, despite the four truths we've talked about, about hell and Jesus and God's plan, if we don't love God, and if we're not walking with God and you know, delighting in Him and saying, yeah, God's my greatest treasure and Jesus is amazing, we're not going to talk about Him, right? We, we naturally, as people, talk about stuff that we love. I once heard that we are all evangelists. Right? You're not evangelizing, you're not telling people about Jesus. We are all natural evangelists telling people about something that we love. We do it. And we're like, oh, no, I'm not an evangelist. We all do it. You watch a great movie, right? You watch a great TV show. You go to a wonderful restaurant that you love. Right? When you love something, you're going to talk about it. And you go up to your friend and you're like, hey, have you been to, have you watched? And it doesn't matter what the conversation is about. You like kind of interject into it. and be like, oh, I don't care what you're talking about. Have you tasted? Have you gone to this place? It's amazing. It's beautiful. We can't help but to simply talk about the things that we love. We never bring up things that we moderately like. Hey, have you been to that average restaurant? We're not going to bring that up. When we love something, we are going to talk about it. You know, I'm not a food guy. I don't love food. I say, you know, there are people who eat. Wait, which one is it? Live to eat. There are people who live to eat. I'm not that. I eat to live. And so I don't really love food. But many years ago, my wife and I, we discovered this sushi restaurant in St. Leonard's. It was like out of the way, middle of nowhere. We, we don't even live near there. But we just loved it. And I, I loved it. And what I found was that I just began to bring it up in conversations, just with people. I, like, I just noticed every person I talked to, I just somehow bring this restaurant into the conversation. I'd be like, hey, have you been to St. Leonard's? It's a sushi restaurant. And then I drag people to eat there with us. Right, this is a long time ago, and it's going to show, but this is before I was married. And when my parents met um, Uni's parents, you know, before we we're getting married to like, you know, do that proper sit down, we took them there. Because that's how much I loved that restaurant. When we love something, we are bound to talk about it. And when we love God, we have found the message we will tell others. Love shows up. Love does things. And when we truly love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, with the totality of who we are, we are bound to bubble over in our conversations, to interrupt the conversation and make it about God and Jesus and church. Which is why I think oftentimes we find that new believers often have Jesus on their lips so often, like so frequently, because they've just encountered the grace and the mercy and the love of God. They've understood these things for the first time. 
right? And they're moved in their, their hearts. And so when they go meet their friends and family, it's, it's hard to keep it inside. They have to bring up church. They have to bring up, you know, the God that they've just encountered. Did you know that Jesus died for your sins? And they're amazed by God. And so they have to talk about it. But unfortunately, for the seasoned believer, we don't tend to talk about God or church or Jesus as much. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, it's because we don't love Him like we used to. We've lost our first love. We're not as amazed by God as before. And when we sing the songs, we feel dull and our hearts aren't moved and they don't explode with joy. And so when we meet our friends, believer or even believer, we talk about the soccer or the movie or the show or the sushi shop in St. Leonard's, but not so much about God and Jesus. Because maybe we don't love Jesus like we used to. The great thing is, is that if you find yourself there where we don't talk much about God and Jesus, the solution or what God calls us to do is not um, read a book or go through a six-week course on talking about Jesus. The invitation is to love God. Just love God. And when we rediscover our first love for God again, we'll naturally begin to talk about, about Him more. And by the way, I love that this is God's command, that this is what God wants us to do. The first commandment is not go do something, go accomplish this great task for me. I love that God's command is love me. Be in a relationship with me. Sit at my feet and get to know who I am and how I have loved you, that you would then respond with love for me. I love that that's what God desires of us and that's his great commandment. And as we do this, we'll find that we found our message and we will talk about him more. Love does things because it gives us our message to tell other people but loving God also then gives us our model to know what it is to love. How does love, what, what does it look like? How do we love other people? You know, the world's definition of love is wide and varied. You know, it might be like love is just let people do what they want and empower them. Right? Right? Don't, don't encroach onto what they believe is true. That's not loving. Don't tell them they're wrong. How dare you? Who are you to say? Leave them alone and empower them. And so but when, I might get in trouble for this, but, you know, if your child, if your child thinks that they're of a different gender, well, love is to empower them and say, yes, if that's what you believe that's true, then you help them. Right? That's the world's definition of love. Don't, don't tell them they're wrong empower them or maybe the world's definition of love is what you feel and so I feel loving to you today but in 10 years I don't so I'm going to break up with you and I want to find someone else that I love and then I'm going to go um, marry them right that's what we see in the world that's what we see in Hollywood that's what we see outside of us that's love but to truly know what love is we can't go to the world it's confusing and it's wrong we need to go to God, right? The Bible says, 1 John 4, 8, that God is love. 
If we want to know love, then we need to know God because God is love. Right? If God is love, then to know God is to know love. And if you want to know love, you need to know God because He is the source. He is the definition. He is love. So love is not found inside of me where I just stir up something, my feeling. I don't get to make up my own definition. I don't look outside into the world of what the movies say love is or what the, you know, the, the TV shows say love is. I need to go to God and say, God, what is love to you? Because then that is what love is. And that then is how I'm meant to show love in my love, life. Verse 10 then says this in 1 John 4. In this is love. Right, so here's love. Not that we have loved God. Right, so if you want to know love, you don't look to yourself. We don't get to define love. It's not that we have loved, but that He loved us. Again, so He's the source. And this is what it looks like. And He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Here is love defined in a person sent into this world to live and die in our place. The Bible says that is love. Love is selfless, it's sacrificial, and it doesn't say you live your life, I'm just gonna empower you. Love looks at you and says, I'm gonna do what's best for you. And if you're wrong, I'm telling you you're wrong, you're going towards sin, so I'm gonna die for you sacrificially, I'm gonna do what's best for you, even at cost to me. Right, that's what we see when we look at the cross. Selfless, sacrificial, what's best for us, even at cost to himself. So if you want to know love, you know God. Know God, know love, right? But know love, know God, know love. If you know God, you know love, but if you have no God, you have no love, right? Now that we know what love looks like, it should show up. We look at love, we model it in our lives. We find that there, we find that in John 15 as well. Jesus himself says, this is my commandment, love one another as I have loved you. So again, Jesus is the model. We look at how Jesus loved us and Jesus says, look at how I loved you. That's how you should love one another. And then he says in the next verse, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So what's the model of love again? I died on the cross for you. That's love. And as I've loved you in this way, go love one another. Make it show up. Because love is not just something we see and we experience and we're like, well, wow, that's great, Jesus. You love me like this, but love does things. And so then we go out and we model that same kind of love to other people. It means our love is selfless. It means love is sacrificial. It means love is what's best for them, not what's best for me. And it's even done when it's costly to ourselves. And again, this is different from the love that we might see in this world. Love in this world is so self-centered. I don't feel loving towards you. You don't make me happy. And so I'm going to move on, right? How self-centered is that? Love, again, is, it's not self-centered, it's selfless. It's not just about empowering you, whatever makes you happy, right? but doing what's best for you. And if what's best for you is to tell you that you're wrong, 
to tell you you're going on a path that's going to lead to hurt and pain. Well, then love speaks the truth and pleads with you to turn away. It shows up in marriage like this, right? Let me give you an example. And often times when you ask someone, you know, why are you going out with that person? Why do you want to marry that person? Oftentimes we, we say, well, I want to marry them because they make me happy. They make me laugh. They buy me expensive, expensive presents. No, we never say that, but that's what we feel. They make me a better person. All those things, no, they're not bad reasons, but they do reveal the self-serving, self-centered nature of love that we often pursue. Do we marry for them? Do we date for them? Right? Do we often think that way? Oftentimes marriage is for me and it's about them helping me to be happy. But the model of marriage is it's for them. And so marriage is not them serving my needs, but it's me serving theirs. How can I serve them? How can I better them? How can I help them when they're tired? Right? How can I do the housework for them? Right? That's love. And when we do that, we're really experiencing love in the marriage. Or what about evangelism? You know, when it comes to the things we've talked about in this series, hell is real, Jesus saves, God has a plan, life is short. These things should propel us to do something. But according to the world's definition of love, we should never say anything. We should never encroach our beliefs on them. We should never say anyone is wrong. We should never say anyone is a sinner. Keep your beliefs to yourself and empower them to believe what they want. But that's not love, right? Love does what's best for them. It speaks truth. It pleads with them. It sacrifices myself for their sake. That is love. And so when we have experienced love, not only do we have the message, right, what we talk about, we have the model of love, how we are to go about it. And then third, we have our motivation. We love God, but we need to love others. Because when we love others, we have that motivation to go that final step and actually do things and speak to them. You know, as I think about my life and I think about the things that we've covered over the last four weeks, you know, I, I got really like frustrated with myself. I was like, why don't I do anything? If this is really true, why aren't I going out and telling more people about Jesus? Why aren't I like going and figuring out times to sit down with people that I love and trying to bring up Jesus into the conversation. You know, why don't you? Why, why not to um, condemn you, but why don't you do something about it? If hell is real and Jesus saves and God has a plan and life is short, why don't you do anything or something or more right, to the people that you love or the people that you work with or the people that you live with? And as I thought about it, I thought, maybe it's fear. Because I think that's one of the reasons we often give. I'm afraid. I'm afraid of bringing up the conversation of church because people might laugh at me in my face or worse, behind my back. 
I'm afraid of, you know, bringing up Jesus because they might ask me hard questions and I don't know how to answer them. I'm afraid to say that I'm a Christian because it might um, make my reputation fall or maybe I'll lose my job. And those things are bad and I'm afraid of those things. But I don't think at the heart of it, it's really fear. I mean, fear is real, but I don't think it's really fear. I really believe it's love. It's not a problem of fear. It's a problem with love. Let me give you an analogy to explain what I mean. When we have love, we have the motivation to actually go do those things. Imagine this. Imagine you and I were standing at the side of a highway and cars are zooming past and there's a bus, right? About to pass through the lane that's right in front of us, like speeding through. And then I tell you, hey, look over there. There's a thousand dollars in that lane. And if you run and get it, you can grab that and you take it for yourself. But if this bus passes by, it's gonna, it's gonna float away over the edge of the bridge, it's gone. Like, go for it. But obviously, to say all that stuff, the bus is a bit further away. I say, go for it. And you look at the money, you look at the bus, and you think there's a good chance I might get hit. Would you go for it? Please say no. <laughs> Probably not, right? I'm assuming no. You say no, and I'll say, why? Why don't you go for it? And you'll say, I'm afraid of the bus. It's fast. It might hit me. I might get hurt. I might go to hospital. I might die. I'm afraid. And I'll say, no, it's not fear. Because what if it wasn't $1,000? What if it was your child? Or if you don't have a child, what if it was your spouse? Or what if it was your best friend? I hope that you would answer like me. If that happened and my child was there, I hope I would not hesitate for a moment and I would leap. Even if I was confident I would get hit, I would leap. Even at the smallest chance, I could save them. The problem is not fear. It's not that we fear too much. It's that we love too little. We don't love $1,000 enough to go and risk and sacrifice. But if you love enough, you will risk and you will sacrifice for the small chance of saving, not $1,000, but saving the person that you love. If hell is real and Jesus saves and God has a plan and life is short, then what that means is every person who doesn't know Jesus right now in this world is on a spiritual highway and they're going to get hit one day. And we're afraid of what it means to leap because it might mean that I lose this or I sacrifice and it's going to cost me and the fear is real, but it's not fear that's stopping us. It's love. We just don't love enough. And this is where the great commandment comes into play. Because if we love as human nature loves, which is love myself first and my neighbor next, well, I'm not gonna sacrifice myself for the good of my neighbor. No way we will do that. But when God supernaturally works in our hearts and we say, I love God first and then my neighbor and then myself last, then we are now willing to sacrifice myself and my cost 
in order to benefit them. That is why love does things. And when we love God and others and then ourselves, we have found our motivation to go and to tell and to invite people and to be bold and more courageous and to risk stuff in this life, which is very short, for the sake of them. At the, at the heart of our lack of outreach, I just think we love ourselves way too much. We love our comfort. We love my personal time to relax and I don't want to go out and meet them and I'd rather just sit down and watch Netflix. We love our reputation. We love these things. But if God would do a miraculous work in our hearts, won't we be mobilized? You know, when I think of the Apostle Paul, when I think of the Apostle Paul, I think of a guy who loved God with everything he had, right? Apostle Paul is like so great. I think he's the second best person in the Bible apart from Jesus. Not because he's got the same name as me. I just think he is. You know, he's the guy who said stuff like this. For, <laughs> for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, right? I, my life is Jesus. And if I die, it's better because I get to be with Jesus, right? What a, who says that? Who says that and actually means it? This guy does. He says in uh, Philippians uh, chapter 3, I count everything as lost. I think Daniel read this. <coughs> Sorry. I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus and count everything else as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Right? He's saying everything is loss, everything is rubbish compared to knowing Jesus, right? That's how great knowing Jesus is. The Apostle Paul loved Jesus, he loved God, but did you know the Apostle Paul loved people? I think he's not only a prime example of, one of the best examples of loving God, he's one of the best examples of someone who loves people. In Romans 9, he says this, it's, it's such a kind of weird and it sounds a bit heretical, what he says. In Romans 9, he says this, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears with me, or bears me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. And why is he sorrowful and does he have anguish? He's thinking about his fellow Jews who don't know Jesus. And he says, when I think about them, I'm filled with sorrow and I have unceasing anguish in my heart. And then he says in verse three, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. His desire and love for people around him to know Jesus is so intense that he says that no, maybe I would even be cut off from Jesus, right? And my relationship with him be cut off if that meant they would be saved. And we're like, whoa, that's a weird thing to say. Are you allowed to say that? But that's how much he loves other people. So much so that he's willing to give up possibly the one thing that he loves most. Do we have this kind of sorrow and unceasing anguish in our hearts for people around us? Just sacrifice the things that we love in this world. 
This is loving your neighbor as yourself. This is love willing to jump in front of a bus to save people. And so we're not surprised when the Apostle Paul ends up being the person in the Bible and in history who made the biggest difference for the church second to Jesus. He's the one who did things about the fact that hell is real, Jesus saves, God has a plan, and life is short. He actually did things about those things. He went around and he preached the gospel. He preached Christ crucified. He went around and he planted churches. And we don't know the great influence that he has made, but people were saved, and those saved people went and preached to people who were saved. And apart from Jesus, he would have made the biggest dent in history for the sake of the church. That's what it is to love God. That's what it is to love others. We will go and we will do things. You know, for us, I think my application is simple. It's that we pray and we ask that God would reveal his love for us first. Right? That's where we begin. And that he would then help us to love him most and then to love others, even before ourselves. God, help me to love the people around me who don't know Jesus. Help me to love the people who don't go to church. Help me to love the people I meet every day at work like I should, as myself, so that this love would do things in my life. Like, can we make that our prayer? Help me to love God. Let's close our eyes and let's pray. When we love God, we have our message that we tell others. When we love God, we have the model to love others. And when we love other people, we have the motivation to actually do something. Show me your love, God, your amazing, sacrificial, immeasurable love. The love that sent your son into this world for God so loved the world that he sent his only son it was love that drove God to send his son into this world to die for us let me understand your love let me sit under it let me experience it let me be filled up with it let it then overflow out of me that I might love you and love other people God show me your love and help me to love other people can we let's really wrestle with this I really believe this is the key ingredient for us to then do something with everything that we know. Help me to love God. Let's pray.